How you doing? All right, cool. Hey, if you got your scripture, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 6. As you're doing that, um, obviously, if you don't know what's going on, it's like, what's he talking about meeting in houses and, and vaccines and stuff? And so I'll kind of give you guys a backstory. And as I'm talking, if Lauren Stewart can go ahead and start making her way up here. Um, I, I have had a week from Hades, uh, but it's been God is good, right? God's going to, he is good and it'll be okay. Um, I received a call. I was coming back from Brooklyn on Wednesday, and I received a call from Michael Quartz, who is the general manager here at the Washington Avenue Armory. And uh, if you've ever ridden on Amtrak, it goes in and out of service all the time. And so I was like, oh, I'll just call him later. And then I opened up my uh, Facebook app because social media is horrible. And I was just like, I guess I need to check to see how horrible the world is. And uh, first thing I see is FEMA is moving to the Washington Avenue Armory to vaccinate 7,000 people a week. And so I was like, okay. So I then closed my Facebook app and I called Mike and I'm like, hey man, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know, Cuomo just announced this. And so um, I was like, all right. So long story short, uh, yes, that is happening. And actually tomorrow morning starting at 8 a.m., FEMA will be arriving to uh, clean this place, sanitize it, set up uh, a mass vaccination, and their goal is over the course of eight weeks to vaccinate 70,000 people. Um, and so I've had an opportunity to sit down with several people in the government and have also been in direct contact with Governor Cuomo's office. Um, and I, I want to just say this, regardless of your view or stance on vaccination, everyone I've talked to has been extremely, extremely nice towards us. They've been apologetic about this taking place. Um, and we are looking at how this can be an opportunity for City Church to serve people and to be the church while also understanding that there is a federal operation that is taking place here. And so I'm expecting a call back uh, from the governor's office to discuss some more details uh, that may happen today. I would probably say tomorrow at the latest, but there may be some opportunity for us to volunteer as a church to be able to serve the community. And I'm not talking about you administering the vaccine or anything like that, um, but I'm talking about uh, possibly going door to door or providing uh, food for the medical workers and stuff like that. And so as we get that information, we're gonna assimilate that out to you all. Uh, so what does that mean for us as a church? Lauren, are you up here? You're up here. Okay, come on, come on up here. Um, Y'all give it up for Lauren. Absolutely, absolutely. And so what this means for us as a church is starting next week, we're going to move to a house church model. And so we'll be using the red ballroom, which is where the nursery is. Uh, this afternoon, we're tearing everything down and turning that into a studio. Uh, and there will be a group of about six to 10 people up here that will um, either pre-record or live stream, and then we're going to pipe that into all the different homes uh, or different house churches, which Lauren's about to talk about, um, to where we can still gather in groups and uh, worship together. So it's just going to be Acts chapter 2 style, and she'll, I'm, I don't want to steal your thunder. So, um, But here's what I want to do before she talks. I have, I'm going to get emotional. Nothing surprises me anymore as a church. Like, the stuff we've been through, the stories that have happened, the life change, the challenges, um, like, 
I, I don't, I don't want to publicly say this, and, but I'm, I'm going to say it. Several years ago, we got kicked out of a building by the city. Now we're getting kicked out of a building by the state. I'm like, all right, God, what's next? Kind of the state and the federal government. Um, nothing surprises me anymore. And I don't think after 2020 and the start of 2021, anything should surprise you. I have friends in Texas who were experiencing sub-below zero temperatures and without heat and hot water. In Texas, like what is going on? It's the end of the world, right? Um, that's a joke. I don't think it's the end of the world. It is the end of the world for Texas. You know, blame the windmills. Um, that was a joke too. Anyways, um, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So here's what I want to say though. We have absolute amazing staff at this church and I've seen them do this once where they pivoted and I saw them do it again and I'm talking about I was getting messages we use this thing called Microsoft Teams and we have this chat called the Coronapocalypse 2021 and that's our staff chat I kid you not and at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock at night whenever I am done they're just communicating with each other. And what about this idea? And I've secured this and I'm working on the website. And so I would like you guys to give it up for the staff here at City Church. And as a leader and as a pastor in the past, I've had to felt like I've had to be so involved in all of these decisions and stuff. And I, I genuinely say this, they didn't need me. They did not need me, which is phenomenal because of the trust that's there. Um, they know that we're not going to micromanage. And how, I mean, literally, they just took it. And I think I think I jumped on a call like 15 minutes late because I was on the phone with the attorney um, and like got finished with that call. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I on this, this Teams call right now? And I think they asked me one question. And my response was, I don't care. You know, just run with it. You know, not in I don't care in a negative way, but I don't care. Like, and so thank you to the staff here at City Church for your agility during this period. Thank you, church, for your agility to just go with it. Um, and so moving forward, uh, really until Mother's Day, uh, just it may be a week earlier. We don't know yet. Uh, we are moving to a house church model. And Lauren Stewart is so passionate about community groups, discipleship, and House Church, and so I'm going to turn this over to her for her to talk about it. Thank you, and I do just want to say, um, can we just give it up for Pastor Mike? Like you guys, he is an amazing shepherd. He loves Jesus, and he loves the people of Jesus, and so we are grateful for you as well. Yeah. Okay, so this is the last time we're meeting, and I want you to know that it, it does break my heart a little bit. Um, I love corporate gatherings. This is actually my favorite day. I love that we get to come together and worship Jesus as a body. But it's an exciting opportunity for us to live like the early church for the next nine weeks. House church is not something new. It's actually something very, very important to the scriptures. We see in Acts 2.42, when the early church started, they are breaking bread together in one another's homes. They are dedicating themselves to the apostles' teaching. God is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. They're doing this every day, not just once a week. 
And then we go into Hebrews and Paul, he tells us in Hebrews 10, 24, he says to continue encouraging one another, spur one another on. Don't stop gathering together. Let me say that again. Don't stop gathering together like some are in the habit of doing. Then we go into the book of James, and James, Jesus' half-brother at the very end of James in chapter 5, he says to confess your sins to one another. He even goes as far to say that if any brother or sister is walking away from the truth, bring them back. And then the book of Philippians, the church And Philippi, the letter that Paul wrote, that entire book is about partnership of the gospel and being united and like-minded. And it's not just in the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament in the garden. God tells Adam that it's not good for man to be alone, so he created Eve. And then right now, my community group on Tuesday mornings were walking through the book of Exodus and just last week, We see Moses and the Israelites, they're in the wilderness, and they get attacked. And so Moses goes on top of a hill, and he holds up his staff. And every time his arms started getting weak, the Israelites would lose. And he had to keep his hands risen high. And I am so grateful that Moses had two people there for him, Aaron and her. Am I right? Is it her? Yes. That helped him lift up his hands so they could fight the battle. And then we learn later in the book of Deuteronomy that they were actually attacked because there was a group of Israelites that were behind. They were behind and they were weary and they were tired and they were lagging behind. And so they got attacked. So what are we going to do over the next nine weeks? We're going to gather in homes. We're going to live out the scripture I am employing you before you leave. There are tables to sign up for a house church. You can sign up online at citychurchalbany.com. There's like a huge link there that says join a house church. Thank you, Dan Hall. There's a huge link. And you can sign up in person today. We need you and we want you because life is going to happen over the next nine weeks. It's not going to stop. And the gospel is going to continue moving forward. It doesn't stop. And so we need each other in this season and in this time. We need to come together and we need to hold up one another's hands. Come and step in to somebody's home. Step out of your comfort zone. Leave your excuses at the door that you don't have enough time. Let's sow into the kingdom. God is a God outside of time. He created time. He cares about time. If you give him your time, he's going to show you how to use your time. So come And live life with us. We're going to have city churches all over. Find one that's closest to you or just go to one you feel like you want to go to. Wherever God leads you. Because that's the place you're going to walk in. And maybe your heart's hurting and I'm sure some of you came in with a hurt heart right now. But let me tell you something. That you're going to hear here and that you're going to hear in house church. You are loved by Jesus. He loves you deeply and desperately, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You have been called. He loves you. He desires you. He wants you. Do we know that? 
I know I don't always know that, and I am so grateful for the community that God has given me to pour in to my life in moments where I feel incredibly weak and I cannot keep going. There is nothing that can separate you from the love that God has for you. And so we're going to continue to talk about that and continue to pray together and continue to be encouraged in that way. So sign up. And I know that there's questions as far as can my children come? Uh, yeah, please. In the early church, you see it's cross-generational. It's a diverse gathering of believers. Families, let's come together. And I know the question is, well, what are we going to do? What we're going to do is we're going to disciple them because we're actually called to disciple our children we're actually called to teach them. And don't think that it's not impactful when they come and they sit down and they watch their parents praying and worshiping with other believers. You teach them as you go, just like Jesus and the way he intimately lived with his disciples. He was teaching them as they went. He taught them how to pray. We need to teach our children how to pray. They can hear us pray. Families co-share the responsibility each week take turns ministering to the kids. This is an awesome opportunity for us to live out the scriptures, to activate our faith. And community groups, this isn't replacing community groups. We still encourage you to get plugged into a community group. And yes, they're supposed to be meeting in person in March. And yes, we want to meet in person in March. So I am asking you, church, if there is anyone that is in a community group right now, I ask you to prayerfully consider opening up your home and allowing your community group to come into your house. Hospitality is a biblical thing. It talks about it in scripture. In fact, the very last paragraph in Acts, true story, Acts 28, 28. Am I right? I think I'm right. I'm right. You can check me. Okay. So it says that Paul rented a home and welcomed believers and preached the gospel with all boldness. Like, Paul welcomed people into his home. Let's do that for one another. And if you're thinking about maybe, hey, I would love to host a house church. That would be awesome. And you're a part of a community group. Come talk to me. Grab information in the bag. We would love to have you. We need you. We need each other. We get to have each other. We're a family. We're not separate anymore. We're part of a body. And I know that there's a lot of people here and watching online that take the bus or that walk and they don't have transportation. And so we are working that out now. And if you need transportation, did you know that it would be an honor to serve you and bring you where we need to bring you? So I love you, church. I'm excited for what this new season has to offer. Um, and I just want to read something really quickly from Ephesians. It's my favorite book in the Bible. Um, Paul loved the church in Ephesus. And it's Ephesians 1.15. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I don't know if you understand the depth of what Paul is saying here, but I can understand when I think about you, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you, church. In the depth of the scripture, we can actually know the depths of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we come together in community and we see what the body of Christ can do when we are living life together. So don't rush out. Don't rush out. Lean in, connect with the house church, sign up before you leave. CityChurchAlbany.com, join a house church. Let's do this together. And I can't wait to be back with you corporately in nine weeks to hear what God has done. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. And so look, as always, everything is always changing. And so we're going to continue to uh, get that out. Look, if you're on Facebook and you're not a part of the City Church Connect page, uh, you can submit a request. Just search that. Um, you can submit a request. A lot of information goes on there, plus a lot of funny memes and stuff, and it's a good way for us to stay connected. And then also on all social media platforms at City Church NY. Um, okay, y'all ready? All right, I got six hours, so no, I've got 28 minutes, and I think I'll be under. I really think I'll be under. Don't laugh at me. John chapter 6. We're kicking off a new collection of talks today. The only collection that will be in person. Oh, one, one other thing. One other thing, all right? Don't hate on me. Don't hate on me. We are looking to do something for Easter uh, to where we can be together in person for Easter. Because if not, that will be two Easter Sundays where we wouldn't be together. And so we'll keep you posted on that too. So outside of that, this is the only collection or the only uh, part of this collection that will actually be in person. So here we go. John chapter 6. Um, this is the first I am statement of Christ. And so for the next seven weeks leading up to Easter Sunday, we're going to be looking at the seven I am statements of Christ. Um, and then ending with I am the resurrection and the life for Easter Sunday. And so John chapter 6 verses 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. We'll jump back to that in a second. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28. Then he said to him, What must we do? To be doing the works of God. And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God. And if you're underlining anything, this is the part you want to underline. That you believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, 
Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our father ate manna in the wilderness. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses It is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, and I could just imagine him doing a slow turn. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger again. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And so Jesus is having this very interesting dialogue with his followers and the crowd, so to speak. And I think it's important for us to be able to um, set up the context of what is going on. And so Jesus uses this strong statement, I am, right here which God, or Yahweh, referred to himself going all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. It is literally the same verbiage, the same words, the same enunciation. And and so in Exodus chapter 3, and if you grew up in Sunday school, or or maybe you didn't grow up in church, I'll kind of catch you up on what happened in Exodus chapter 3. But um, Pharaoh had, had, had uh, enslaved the Israelites, and Moses had been cast out of Egypt and, and was kind of living in the wilderness. And he's sitting there being a shepherd, taking care of his sheep and his farm, and, and just, you know, living life as an 80-year-old dude and enjoying it with his long, gnarly beard and stuff. Um, and he's walking by, and he sees this fire that's burning on this cliff. And so he walks up to this cliff, and this fire is actually this bush, but this bush is not burning itself. And I'm sure you've lit something before in your life, campfire or something else, who knows. And um, when you've lit it, what does it do? It burns up. Well, that was not the case with this particular bush. And then he hears this startling Morgan Freeman-style voice. Now, this is Michael's take on Exodus 3. Moses, I can't sound like Morgan Freeman. I've got a runny nose. I just, it's the crying. Ah. I'm going to wash and sanitize my hands, all right? I've got the vaccine. I'm okay, all right? Just throwing you out there now. Everyone stay 12 feet away from me. Um, anyways, <clears throat> where was I? Anyways, so Morgan Freeman, a.k.a. God, um, God is talking and is like, hey, Moses, come Come to me, but take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And so Moses removes his shoes, and God gives Moses a mission or a purpose. And he says to him, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh, um, and I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses is like, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and, you know, God gives him some instructions. But then Moses says, when Pharaoh asks who sent me, who do I say sent me? And God's response, I am that I am sent you. Wait, wait, what? I am that I am sent you. And so the name of God is I am. That's, that's simply it. And so here Jesus is saying, hey, I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. And we're going to dive into this more and more as we get into it. But he's starting to dissect the nature and the character of God because Jesus is God on earth. 
Jesus is the hope for humanity, the Savior of the world that is on earth. I, I think about relationships that some of us might have. Like, how many of you guys, you follow um, people, on, you, you got social media, you got IG. Anyone? Raise your hands. Go and lift your hands up in the air. How many of you do TikTok, right? TikTok? Yeah, a few of you guys. How many of you get sucked into the, the TikTok coma late at night? It's just a loophole. And it's, next thing you know, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. You've been watching, you know, 30-second videos of cats, you know? Um, if that's never happened to you, then God bless you, all right? Um, but, like, through social media, we can learn a lot about someone. We can think that we know a lot about them, but ultimately, we really don't know them unless we actually know them. And then we have social media trolls out there who I'm learning all about right now um, who just have a tendency to, like, post on you, and then you're like, who is this? And you don't even know their name. You see, if we're going to worship this God of I am, if we're going to be in relationship and be discipled by I am, we need to know his name. And whenever Jesus appears on the scene, we see that the name of I am is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, to set up the context of this statement that he gives right here, I just want to kind of go through a little bit. Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30 years old, and he started it by performing miracles. The first miracle that he performed was he turned water into wine in Canaan. Can I get an amen to that? Three of you. Three of you are like, all right, amen, I'll take water over, or wine over whatever. You know, I was trying to be funny, guys. So he turns water into wine, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is the best wine ever. And, and they're like, who is this guy? And then in John 3.16, he's having this conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he turns to Nicodemus. He says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever may believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you've been crying out for a Messiah. You've been praying for a Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am that Messiah. And Nicodemus is just baffled at, at this moment. We see in, in John chapter 4, there's this Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus shows up at the well and does some kind of emotional healing and, and proves to her that he is the Messiah. And this Samaritan woman, who wasn't supposed to like Jews, goes back and tells the whole village, come and see what this Jewish rabbi did. He changed and transformed my life. You also see, see that Jesus heals the officials or the soldier's son who had been sick and stuff. You see in John chapter 5, the pool of, but, but, uh, I always butcher this, the pool of, but the, the pool, the pool that was turning and all that. I can't think of the word, all right? And, and Jesus heals the lame man that's there. And then one of the greatest miracles, and this, this is the one miracle that is recorded across all four Gospels, happens in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching. And because of all of his miracles, people start gathering around Jesus and saying, I want to know more. Tell me more about who you are. I, I, want, to, I want to experience what you're doing and what you're, you're preaching and, and what your teachings are. And so theologians, Scripture says 5,000 men, but many theologians believe that they did not count the women and children, that there could have been upwards of 15,000 people listening to Jesus. This is where we see the sermon on the mount start to take place. And he gets done um, teaching, and they realize that everyone's hungry. Everyone wants food, just like some of you guys. You want food right now. You're like, will this guy please shut up so I can go get sushi? 
But this is what happens. I want to jump to John chapter 6, verses verse 5, 6, and 7 for, for just a moment. Actually, let me, let me just back up. A large crowd was following him, and they saw a sign that he was, uh, what he was doing on the 6th. So Jesus went up to the mountain, and he sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Um, verses 5. Jesus, lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are you going to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6. And he said this to test him, him being Philip. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. I think that that's interesting right there because Jesus sees these people coming. He sees the problem. He sees the need. He turns to his disciple and he says, what, what are we going to do about this? And Philip's response isn't, well, you're the Messiah. He, Philip's response is, how are we going to feed these people? How are we going to do this? How, how are we going to take care of this? And meanwhile, Jesus asked Philip this question, already knowing what he was going to do. I, I think a lot of times in our lives... We're focused on the how instead of focused on the source who already has a plan. I think a lot of times in our life we're trying to figure out what we're going to do or how we're going to do it or how we're going to communicate or in this case how we're going to have church instead of turning to the source of it all which is Jesus who already knows what the plan is and already knows how things are going to work out and simply just wants us to invite him into the problem. Here's the thing, the how, the what may change, the methods may change, the source does not change. The source does not change. And some of you guys, you're facing circumstances, you're facing problems right now, and you keep asking yourself, how am I going to do with this? What am I going to do? I don't know how I'm going to respond to this. What about this? And, and God and God is simply just saying, come to me, I am the source of your problem. Not the source of your problem, I am the source of your answer to your problem. And I want to just challenge all of us that maybe this is the season that we are entering as a church right now. And so what does Jesus do? His disciples, they go, we find this one kid with five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, well, let's all bow our eyes and let's close our, bow our eyes. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's just pray, and Jesus starts praying, and everyone opens up their eyes, and there's these baskets of fish. And everyone ate as much as they wanted, and there was 12 baskets still left over. Don't we see that Jesus is the source of everything that we need? Jesus is the source of every problem that we may have. He has the answer, and he has a plan. My question for us is, are we going to get connected to the source, or are we going to try to figure out how to solve our own problem? The, the narrative continues, though, and, and what we see is Jesus then breaks away. He walks on water, which I think is really cool. 
um, and then he, get, he goes away to Capernaum, and everyone's like, where's this, where's this guy? Where's Jesus? I want to find Jesus. Let me find Jesus. And so they realize that they're not in Galilee anymore, and so they get, get on their boats, and they're like, well, I think he's in Capernaum. Let's go to Capernaum. And so they start sailing on the other side to Capernaum, and, and, and they get to Capernaum, and they find Jesus, and Jesus is like, you're not coming after me to get to know me. You're coming after me because I fed you. You're coming after me because you like my good gifts. Can we have real talk for a minute? Anyone? Yeah? Okay, cool. Y'all can be responsive today. It's our last day together for nine weeks. So often, Christians go after the gifts of God instead of the giver, which is God himself. So often, we want the power of God without wanting to know the person of God. So often we want the blessing of God without carrying the burden of God. So often we want the favor of God without experiencing the suffering that God invites us into. And it isn't, it isn't that the gifts are a bad thing. God wants to give us good gifts. God wants to bless us. God wants you to be joyful. God wants you to be happy. But he's not after you just having a bunch of gifts. He's after you getting to know the person and the nature and the character of Jesus Christ and having a personal growing relationship with him that is daily you walking and learning to trust in him, daily you walking and, and relying on him, and him daily end up being your source. And that's what Jesus is inviting. And so, so he turns to these men. They come and they're like, you know, we, we, want, we want to hang out with you. And he's like, no, you don't. You want more of what I can do for you. And I want you to come and get to know me. I want to invite you into this conversation. See, sometimes, though, we want what's best in life, but we settle for what's quick. Let me give you an example with this. If you have kids, you'll understand this. Judah got in trouble maybe two weeks ago. And I don't remember what he did, Christy, but he, he got in trouble and, you know, we took away TV for, what, an hour, two hours, something like that. Christy's like, I don't know where you're going with this story. So we took away TV. We'll just say we took it away for three hours, all right? No TV for three hours. What? Like, no, I want TV, son. No TV for three hours. Why? And then, and then he... he flips the script, and he goes, you can take away TV for 10 days if I can watch it right now for the rest of today. And I'm like, buddy, do you, do you know how long 10 days is? Like, he's like, yes, 10 days so that I can watch it right now. I want to watch my show. Please, please, I'll be good, please. And Christy, Christy goes, don't trade your birthright for a cup of porridge. And he was like, what? <laughs> and it was like, Judah, buddy, you're going to lose it for three hours. You're going to want it in 10 days because tomorrow you're going to come back. Take it away for another 10 days. And then next thing you know, you're just not even going to be able to watch TV until you're 18 years old. And, and so, but isn't that the case for us in our lives is, is God wants to give us what's best, but sometimes we settle for what's quick. Sometimes we want that quick gratification or desire to meet us. Sometimes we want that quick thing. And, and so John, as he's writing about this experience with Jesus, Jesus then references 
Moses. He references the the fathers. The people start referencing, well, what about our fathers? They saw a sign. Give us a sign, which I think is interesting because Jesus just fed 5,000 people off of five loaves of bread and two fish. So you want another sign? You, you want another, it's, it kind of reminds me of Exodus. Because in Exodus, the people had just been delivered from Pharaoh, 430 years in captivity. Jesus, or God parts the Red Sea. God provides manna. God splits the rock and water starts pouring out. He's guiding them with the cloud during the day and with fire at night. Like, and then they're sitting there saying, we want a sign. We want a sign. We want a sign. Sounds like a bunch of people. We want more, we want more, we want more, we want more. And Jesus or God is sitting there, hey, I want you to just trust me. I want you to just trust me. Even the manna that they got 40 years of in the wilderness, God gave them manna every day. Every day, new manna would fall from heaven. What did it look like? What did it taste like? What was it like? I don't know. But scripture said it fell every day for six days. And on the sixth day, a double portion fell so that they could rest on the seventh, which is the Sabbath. But if someone tried storing what God gave them for one day, the next morning they would wake up and it would be spoiled. And so what Jesus is trying to say here, what we're learning with this parallel from Exodus is that our relationship with God is taking one step and another step and another step in trusting what God is doing, trusting that God is going to give us the manna that we need for the day, trusting that God is going to mature us in whatever area we need to during this season, trusting that God is going to provide. Look, let's talk about us getting kicked out. This is the worst time for us to get kicked out. Just now gaining momentum as a church since COVID hit, Um, we're less than 60 days away from finalizing our building for the one building fund and moving forward with the closing of our building. And you're going to shut us down? And I love, Kevin, I love what you said because I didn't even realize that. Like this may be the very one thing, the least thing that we have. And God's saying, give it to me. Give it to me and I want you to trust me. And so as a church, we are stepping into a season of trust. For me, financially, with the church, we are stepping, look, we're stepping into a season of trust. Like, I don't know if you know this, but whenever it comes time to sign papers for the closing of our new building, which will be very soon, we got to have that money. And so it's like, okay, God, you knew that this was going to happen. We're going to trust you in this process. We're going to trust you. And I got up here two weeks ago and I said, God is going to provide. And I'm telling you, we gave away a bunch of money being obedient Like, come on, you don't think that God is setting us up for a miracle right now? You don't think that God is setting us up? Yeah, he's doing something. And what I love is like, we're just gonna walk away from this a year from now, be like, look at what God did. Look at what God did. So Jesus, people are like, well, what do we have to do? What work do we have to do to get this bread? This bread, I want this grub in my tummy. Who talks like that, you know? I want this bread. And Jesus' response in verse 30, he says this. I'm sorry, let me back up. What must we do to be doing or to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God. You ready? That you believe 
and him whom he has sent. And so they said, and then they were asking for the sign. Sorry. So what's the work of God? What is our job to do right now? What is our response to do as followers of Jesus Christ who are invited to be in a personal relationship with him, who are invited to trust? It's simply this, to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, well, Michael, that's hard. Look, I know it's hard. I'm not dumb. I get it. Sometimes we get tested, but our response is to believe. The call on all of our life right now is to believe. The next step of faith that you need to take and that I need to take is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. To trust that he is doing what he says he is going to do. So many of us, we are working to obtain something. We are fighting to obtain something. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I am the source of all of that. All I want you to do is to believe in me, to trust in me, to, to believe that I am going to do what I'm saying I'm going to do. You see, it's, it's let, me put it, let me put it this way. When you remove relationship from everything, it turns to work. And some of you guys, you have been working really, really hard right now. You've been, you've been working really, really hard because you've removed relationship. See, whenever you remove relationship to God, relationship to Jesus, going to church becomes work. You drag yourself out of bed. Some of y'all were doing that today. I don't want to go to church. She's making me go to church. You're brushing your teeth. Getting your Starbucks latte for $7.75, walking into church, she's like, I'm here today, and it's cold again. And what's happened is you've removed the relationship with God and what should be a joy and a celebration and something that you get to do has turned into an obligation and it's become work because you have no relationship with your Heavenly Father. The same thing with giving. The same thing with tithing. If you remove the relationship aspect of it, that relationship piece, it turns into work. The same thing with serving. If you remove the relationship aspect of it, it turns into work. Have you ever noticed if one of your best friend calls you and he's like, hey man, I need help in my basement or I need help painting my house and you have a great relationship with him or with her, you're like, okay, no problem. And you go over there and you work and it's fun and it's joyful. Do you know why? It's because there's a relationship. When you remove that, it's like going to a nine to five job and punching that hourly clock and doing it just because you have to do it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're looking to try to work to obtain something. Here's the work I want you to do. Believe in me. Believe in me. City Church, right now, believe in me. Jesus, that Jesus in the middle of all of this, 
Jesus, in the middle of the unexpected, Jesus, in the middle of the storm, walked on water. Jesus, in the middle of this storm, is going to part a way. Jesus, in the middle of the craziness that's going on in 2020 and in 2021, is doing something amazing with his church. Jesus, in the middle of the chaos in your family, is moving all things together for your good and for his good in the glory of his church and the glory of his name in your families and in your relationship. That Jesus' cross was enough. That Jesus did everything he needed to do. And whenever he sat on that cross next to two sinners and two thieves, it is finished at that moment. The powers of sin and darkness and damnation broke across the world for all who believe. And he's inviting us. He's inviting us. He's saying, hey, I want you to trust me. I want you to believe in me. And you know what happens? Your belief affects your decisions in your life, and your decisions are going to affect your outcome. Your belief affects your decisions. Your decisions are going to affect your outcome. Do you know his name today? Do you know the name of I am, the bread of life? He's going to sustain you. He's going to satisfy you. He's going to fill every void. You know, Helen Keller, Helen Keller is a very interesting woman who walked this earth and faced challenges that no one else has really ever faced. Not only was she blind, and she was also deaf, and it gave her hard challenges with, with speech impairment. Some would even say that she was mute for the first 10 years of her life. And, and someone by the name of Ann Sullivan said, I think that I can help her. And took Helen's hand and spelled out the word water and sprinkled it on her hand. And at that moment, at 10 years old, something flipped in Helen's brain. And she was able to start communicating. Whenever every doctor, every psychologist, all said that this is impossible. Well, if you don't know this about Helen, Helen went on to go write many books and graduated from college and got a master's degree. And she got to a point of her life, though, where her father wanted her to, to have some religious studies. And so she, his father, her father sent Helen to Boston, Massachusetts to sit down with the theologian so that she could learn about Jesus Christ and she could learn about the scripture and have a theological understanding. And in the ways that they start communicating with Helen, they start introducing her to Jesus. And her first response whenever she learned about Jesus was, I always knew that there was a God. Now I know his name. And all of us in this room, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, whether you've been questioning Christianity or not questioning Christianity, all of us watching online, regardless of where you may be in your life, we have this deep long in our soul where we know that there's more than this life. We know that there is a God. We know that there is something happening than what's happening under the sun. 
How do I know that? Because eternity is written on your heart. Eternity is written on my heart. And you lay down at night and you sit there and you ponder and you wonder and you think and you say, there's got to be more out there. And I'm here to tell you there is. And the guy that you're searching for, his name is I Am. And his name, I Am, came down to this earth. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he is your Savior. And he is my Savior. He is the Savior for the world. And all you have to do is believe that he is the Son of God, and you shall be saved. And so, church, I want to invite you to stand with me.